I've always said that uh, I'm always happiest when I'm up to my elbows in plaster and craft paint. I love to make the terrain. And it's really gratifying when it pays off on the game table. Last summer, I spent most of the summer making the plaster, pouring it, making the molds, and building a bridge that would span the table. And with the, the bridge, towers on both sides. Put a lot of effort into it, and I was just praying, hoping that the players would appreciate it. I unveiled it for the next session, and one of the characters players said, if my character dies here, I will die happy. That was gratifying to me, and it was a moment I'll cherish. It's the kind of moment I hope to bring when I game. I am Troy Taylor. I am the Gamerati. Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. VorpalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. And listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon store. This is Robert J. Schwab, the Prince of Darkness of Gaming, and uh, I'm here on The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm flying solo, sort of, in this episode, as we're going to get nostalgic, building a campaign with our guest for the episode, Ryan Costello Jr. from the our Pathfinder sister podcast, No Direction. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Jeff. How are you doing? I am fantabulous. It is great to You've be been here. on both my podcasts now, so it's about time that I showed up on the Tome. That's right. Well, uh, you're, you're our, our 3.5 Pathfinder uh, holdout here. So uh, I prefer loyalist. Loyalist, yeah, yeah. Uh, hold, <laughs> hold out, loyalist. It's the same thing, right? <laughs> so uh, you know, we, we get we got John and uh, quickly before you know the next edition comes out, and then you're two editions behind, and it's even harder to find a way to get you get you in. It, well, because you keep lumping Pathfinder in there with that. Pathfinder is a currently supported <laughs> is edition. True. It is true. It is absolutely a currently supported edition. Um, that's Pathfinder. I like to I like to let Pathfinder stand as its own thing instead of D and I agree, in the and same I like that. Uh, I, I'm from what I've been reading about Fifth Edition, or next, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to. I don't want to say the wrong word. <laughs> I've been thinking of it as fifth edition, but I know some people uh, almost find that term offensive. Well, but, uh, I think Wizards yeah. kind of finds the term offensive. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, the D&D in development currently, mm-hmm. from what I've been reading, not only does it sound like their goal is to you know combine all the editions, but it also feels like it will be a different game from Pathfinder. So right now there's a room for Pathfinder, there's room for 4E, and it feels like when the new D&D comes out, there'll still be room for Pathfinder and room for D&D. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and I like to, I like to let Pathfinder stand on its stand on its own legs. I think it deserves that as a game, uh, in the same way that you know Star Wars Saga Edition can be its own game. You know, D twenty Modern um, Mutants, or First Edition Mutants and Masterminds. These are all games that came out of the same system, but they get to, they're good enough to they're all good enough and, and different enough to stand alone as, as their own game. So I like to to do that. Plus, it helps me justify not covering Pathfinder as much on the show. Well, hey, the reason Pathfinder <laughs> came, to, or the reason No Direction rather came to be, is because you invited me to be the Pathfinder correspondent on the Tome. That's right. Oh, so I guess in a way I have been on the Tome. Just you weren't there at the time. I, I recorded that special <laughs> for you a long That's time right, you ago. Did, you did. 
Very good. Well, we, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We'll uh, we'll talk about all that in a bit. But first, we want to get into some of the news. Uh, things that have been coming out as I've been getting press releases and things from Wizards of the Coast and, and catching up with other things. Just a few things going on. First of all, the Dungeons & Dragons online uh, video game is going into the Forgotten Realms. They have announced that the it, it's a free-to-play MMO um, game that has been set in Eberron, if I'm not mistaken. Have you played it? There are definitely, uh, yeah, there's Warforged in there. I know that yeah. much. Which I know Warforged aren't exclusive to Eberron, but usually Warforged mean, or yeah, Warforged and Eberron are pretty, pretty closely tied. Yeah. yeah. So now they've announced that they're moving into the Underdark of the Forgotten Realms this summer. They're going to launch a new expansion where players get to go in and fight Drow and Loth and all that fun stuff. Now I know in Fourth Edition the realms are all interconnected somehow in the same multiverse, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm getting my information on 4th edition from the Tome Show. Right, right. So if um, I'm not right, let me know. No, you are. I mean, I guess they, they haven't, in game product, they haven't made it a big point to say that all these different worlds are connected. Um, the novels have sort of, just in the last year or two, there's been this event called the Spell Plague um, that has sort of been very heavily saying they're all connected, right? I mean, one of the books has a character in the Forgotten Realms who um, has a holy a holy item from Ayun, you know, who's the, the core setting god, you know, not even one of the... the traditional setting gods, right? Definitely not a Forgotten Realms god. And so there, there's more and more saying there's this multiverse and all the realms are connected. Okay, so is there any indication that uh, D&D Online is going to use the same justification for how an Eberron MMO uh, PC could be going into the Underdark in, in Forgotten Realms? I have no idea. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. In fact, it sounds to me like you have more experience with the whole thing than I do because I don't play MMOs in general. And I've never, I've, I've never played, played this it. for maybe a weekend. It right. was uh, an introductory adventure. And, you know, it it didn't feel like an MMO from the introductory section of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I drowned before I got into the open world part of it. And that kind of <laughs> made me just feel bad at the game. So I moved on. When they first announced that DDO was going uh, free to play, I checked it out and then couldn't get any further than that because it's Windows only and I'm a Mac. Uh, so I like that you said Windows and not PC. That's one of those common misconceptions, thanks to the Mac ads, that the opposite of a Mac is a PC. In, in fairness, I don't think it's because of the Mac ads. That distinction was being made for a decade prior to those ads. All right. I'll, I'll, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come down <laughs> on Mac people because uh, no, no, no. I wasn't accusing things. Oh, no, no. I'm supposed to be diplomatic in this episode. Jeez. Can't uh, stand you. I can't stand you addition warriors. <laughs> no, I'm being friendly. I said there's a place for everybody. I know. And like I've, <laughs> like I've always said, there are no addition wars. There's just jerks on the internet. And I do not count you among them. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, the jury's still out on you, I got to say. Well, I know, I know. No, Jeff. Oh, I <laughs> went into this thinking I'll be extra nice to Jeff. Oh, that's good. Uh, <laughs> the other news that uh, I just got this press release today, although it's not you know, unsurprising news, is that Heroes of the Ele- Elemental Chaos came out today. Um, as of at least the day of this recording, and depending on when Sam gets to editing, you know, probably a week or so from when you hear this. 
Um, so, but that book is out, and we have an episode planned to look at it. In fact, I think we're going to try to find a way to bring back the uh, the live broadcast for that mm-hmm. episode and uh, give away a free copy of it, probably. So, oh wow, people should look out for that in two weeks. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't say two weeks because who knows when this comes out? What's, what 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 would the date be for that? Who's got a, you got a calendar for two you? weeks from now? It'll be the first week of March. Yes, that Monday, the first week of March. So that's the seventh or eighth, fifth, fifth. Sorry, I'll fifth. be in Disney World then. So March fifth at eight p.m. Eastern, we will be recording, and uh, hopefully you hear this in time that you can come check it out and maybe win a copy of the book. So that sounds awesome. Now, you kind of said maybe we'll do it live, and then you announced a date. So is this – you are officially doing this, right? That is the plan. If, if I mean, we've had, okay. te- we've had technical issues in the past with the live broadcast, which is why we haven't done it in a while. I'm assuming we will work out the technical issues in two weeks. So the plan is to do this. And if the technology doesn't cooperate, I'll apologize now. <laughs> so <laughs> – Heroes of the Elemental Chaos. That's is that the last fourth edition crunch book that's coming out, or are there others announced? There are others announced. Yeah, um, this is this may be our last sort of power source book. You know, um, they went through last year was was uh, Heroes of Shadow, mm-hmm. um, and so Shadow was the sort of the big thing, and so this is the their um, elemental power source thing. Although it doesn't actually do a new power source, it's um, just taking existing classes and rules and what what have you and um putting new stuff on it so yeah i can see elemental fitting into from what i understand primal and arcane possibly divine look right. at me i know four eternals look, look at you look at you yeah, I know. that's what happens when you it's all it's all thanks to you that's, it, that's what happens when you listen to the show right <laughs> uh in other news um dnd next has announced a new website although really it's just sort of a, a complete redesign of the dnd website in general and D&D Next has its own little corner of that. Uh, but they did completely redesign the layout of the website uh, with the idea of making it accessible and easy for people who are just checking out D&D and want to learn more about it. But at the same time, for those of us that, that are veterans and we know where we want to go and we know what we want, to, we want to get to, we don't have to deal with all the introduction to D&D stuff. We can get straight down into the meat of what we want so and try to make it more navigable. Now I haven't been to the D and D landing site in a while. I've, I've go to the D and D website, but usually to read specific articles mm-hmm. that I'm directly linked to. So uh, when I went and I checked out the main page, I didn't see huge differences. So what what was I missing? Like what specific about the layout makes it easier for a new player to get into D and D? Most of it's just organizational. Um, now for a new, you're asking for the new player, right? Uh, uh, just in general. If you if you go as a new player, just to D and D homepage, the, the initial site, it's just basically what, three boxes and says, you know, learn how to play, here, here are some events you can check out, you know, it's just some really basic stuff and it's really simple. Um, not a lot of extra stuff. It, you don't see all the Dungeon and Dragon articles, you don't see all that stuff. Um, so a lot less clutter. And then, but if you skip to that, skip to the stuff that you and I might go to, um, then you've got the big long listing of, of all the articles, but you don't have all that other stuff. And you don't, they don't mix a lot of the, like the novels and stuff into it. Like they've given everything its own little category, its own little page. Um, so, you, you know, depending on what you're interested in looking at, you go to where you, where you want to go. And so you don't have all the other stuff there. So 
I know they took a took a lot of time with this. I've, I've actually talked to uh, the website manager a little bit um, about this this whole thing, and I know they took a lot of time and took, got in a lot of feedback about how to how to make the site more useful to people. So well, that's good. I think it was a good change. Not not a huge thing. It's not changing the way we play the game or anything, but it's nice to have a a, a website constantly being updated and, and improved. So it coincides with the way we change the game. Sure, uh, play the game rather. You bet. Uh, the only other things I wanted to remind people about is that we have some upcoming episodes. I already mentioned the review of Heroes of the Elemental Chaos. Our, our book club episode, which we're recording next week, is on Shadowbane. And uh, Tracy hasn't told me what book she wants to do for the next book, but I thought, depending on when this comes out, I should you know give you a heads up um, about what the plan is for the next book. And so I'm going to go ahead and make the call right now that we are going to read Brimstone Angels. Um, this will be the first time I think – no, it, I was going to say this will be the first time we bring back an author. Um, but the first book club series we did was was a trilogy all by the same author. So, um, But we'll, be, we'll bring back Erin uh, Evans to talk about her latest book, Brimstone Angels. So, And Tracy will have to deal with that and like it <laughs> because she didn't send me an email to tell me otherwise. That's what you get for being an absentee co-host, Tracy. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Stop being sick, Tracy. Did mm-hmm. I mention it earlier in the episode that she's not here because she was sick? I think people picked up on that. Okay. <laughs> I'm pretty subtle. I guess people could have just assumed it was that she had better things to do. Right. I finally, kicked, no. I finally kicked her off the show. Oh. Am I being groomed as the next co-host? Yes. Oh, subtle. Which I is, had no idea. Which is kind of you know difficult since you don't play the current edition of D&D. Therefore, I offer a great counterpoint. You do, I suppose. <laughs> well, maybe you'll have to get in on the uh, the playtest for D&D next, and then we can uh, change the show to that. I did uh, throw my name in the hat. Did you? No, okay. throw my hat in the ring. That, throw my that, name in the hat works too, doesn't it? Uh, you know what? I'll give it to you either way, because I'm being, dipl- I'm being diplomatic. And I appreciate yeah. that. You're very good at being diplomatic. <laughs> yes. Very good. Well, let's find out who you are. All right. Ryan, Where would you like to start? Ryan Costello Jr. Who the heck are you? Let's start with I'm that. a gamer since high school. I started playing Dungeons and Dragons on a whale watching trip. Okay, that's as good, that's as good a place to start as any, I suppose. Yeah, a friend of mine introduced me to second edition of the game and as soon as he just told me, you know, it's you're kind of crafting a story together, I was like, so you could do this? He's like, yeah, yeah. And you could do this? Sure, and you can play different characters. So you could play this. It's like, yeah, yeah, and it just I was just following him around for the rest of the, the trip, just saying, like, so you can do this. And it was, like, it <laughs> constantly until we got to the hotel room. And he said, do you want to play a game? We don't have any books or whatever, but we can, you know, we can get the story crafting part of it in. And so, yeah, I, I played my first session of D&D, had no books, and it was purely just based on the concept. And uh, I've been playing pretty much nonstop since then. Breaks here and there. But right since uh, third edition was about a year old, so a little bit before 3.5, that's when my current gaming group got together. And other than gaining some members here, losing some members here, we've been playing pretty consistently for whatever that is now, nine years. Right on. And that love of D&D led you to start the 3.5 Private Sanctuary, right? Indeed. Originally, I was just going to make a, a Dungeons & Dragons fan site, and I was flirting with the idea of a podcast, and it was largely based on a website I enjoyed in the G.I. Joe community uh, called General's Joe's. I'm a big fan of G.I. Joe, and, and um, I, didn't, I couldn't find a fan site 
the like the D and D equivalent of what General Joe's brought to the GI Joe community. So I started conceptualizing this website, and it's, I conceptualize a lot of ideas. I, most mm-hmm. of them don't come to be, but then Fourth Edition was announced, and uh, you know, obviously, your listeners were happy with Fourth Edition, uh, but me and my gaming group were just not. We were just not satisfied with some of the things we were hearing. And we still had so much passion for third edition and like character concepts based on classes we'd never played, ideas we had for specific things that were already in third edition. That fourth edition, it would have been a reboot. So anything, like if we wanted a specific prestige class, it would have been years if that prestige class ever came up. So sticking with third edition was pretty much our only option for it. Plus, we were very comfortable with the rules. So the the website I had in mind kind of evolved from just a Dungeons & Dragons fan site to specifically, this is where you go if you still like 3.5 D&D. And uh, for a long time, it was pretty much the only site of its kind other than ge- generic D&D fan sites that still mm-hmm. catered to 3rd edition players. Uh, but then, of course, Paizo came along and said, we're fully supporting 3rd edition fans with the Pathfinder role-playing game. And so my... The original purpose, or the, the, the revamped purpose of 3.5 Private Sanctuary kind of became overshadowed by then, but uh, uh, by then, my podcast had already developed a following. The No Direction podcast, as I mentioned earlier, thanks to you, had uh, gotten on its feet, and uh, things have been well on their way since. We're going to be celebrating our 200th episode this year of 3.5 Private Sanctuary. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, and and you started No Direction, uh, and that was a big help to me. I, I sort of, I, I still like to publicly talk about No Direction as sort of the the Pathfinder sister podcast of the Tome Show, right? Um, when the when Fourth Edition came out, the community kind of split. There was the Pathfinder contingency, there was the the Fourth Edition contingency, and I've sort of, I, I decided that I could not do an adequate job of doing what I do and doing both. Um, and so I sort of went in the direction of 4th edition. I said, you know what? It's a, it's a D&D podcast. I'm going to stick with whatever the current version of D&D is. And like we talked about before, Pathfinder can stand on its own. And that's when I talked to you about No Direction as a way to say, all of you Pathfinder fans out there who are going to stick with that, I love you and I want to make sure you're taken care of. Go talk to Ryan. So you started No Direction. Yeah, but even before that, I did do the Pathfinder update on a couple of episodes of the Tome. That's right. And that pretty much very quickly evolved into, instead of just a segment on an episode, it became an episode on its own and then a show of its own. Right on. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was when I was trying to, that, that was when I was experimenting with ideas about how to, how to handle this, right? Do I do, you know, because at, at that point it was like, well, I can't adequately handle Pathfinder, covering Pathfinder and 4th Edition. Maybe I can get Ryan on to do some of that, right? So we did some of that and then eventually it just made a lot of sense for you to sort of take it away and do your own thing. Sure. And I it's kind of to- like Voltron. Do you remember Voltron actually alternated? One episode would be the Lions and one episode would be the Cars Voltron? I, I recall that being the case. I don't recall that in the story because I, I never actually watched Voltron you know, religiously. It was two completely different series called Voltron that oh, okay. they would just alternate airing. And so if we kept doing Pathfinder Update the way we'd originally been doing it, it would have basically been two shows with one name anyway. Right. So why not two separate shows, two separate feeds? Basically right. what what they are now. So so in any case, you, you've stuck with sort of uh, the older school. It's hard to call third edition old school, but you know <laughs> what I mean. You, you stuck with the edition and, and its new incarnation of Pathfinder with th- the 3.5 Fiverr Sanctuary uh, and No Direction. And... As I understand, you've turned that into some uh, design credits as well. 
I did. I originally was writing some articles for uh, Dungeon uh, for Dragon Magazine, rather, when it was still being published by Paizo. And so I I had some articles, and I had no idea how to pitch things. I had no idea what the process was. So I just figured you write the article until the article is done, and then you send it off to the publishers, which is not how it's done. And I'll and you know we can even talk about how it's supposed to be done. But uh, so I had all this content for three point five that when fourth edition was announced, the third party support for three point five went away pretty quickly. Hmm. And then when Pathfinder came out, it pretty much it, it sucked everything up. If people weren't going to support 4th edition, they were supporting Pathfinder. And other than the first few issues of Cobalt Quarterly, 3.5 D&D was not getting any support at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Pathfinder out and all these new companies, uh, third-party companies emerging around it, because there was suddenly a lot of hype for this new version of the game, uh, uh, there was a lot of opportunities for designers like me who could say, I've got these articles that I wrote and have nothing to do with. I could easily craft this into a book which is what I did with uh, Four Winds Fantasy Gaming. They were one of the first third-party companies I interviewed on No Direction. Uh, I, after, shortly after the interview, uh, we were bantering. I mentioned I had these articles. They, uh, they encouraged me to pitch to them, uh, which I did, and that eventually became Strategists and Tacticians, which was a 30,000 or so word book that I put out through them, uh, which led to uh, Cobalt Quarterly design credits, uh, Super Genius Games has been putting out some of my stuff. They just recently put out feats of multi-classing, and uh, and now some uh, credits with Paizo. Very good. So you are are somebody with a, a lot of bona fides, right? I mean, um, you, a lot you've, of bona fides. You've, you've been around D anD D a long time. Um, you seem to have an idea of, of good game design. So we decided that with this advice episode to sort of bridge the gap, we would have something that we could discuss that's maybe a little less rules intensive and recognize the fact that skills that you have in in one game can be good in another game, right? Absolutely. So we're going to build a campaign and we're going to build a campaign using – you wanted to use a, a book that came out after fourth edition was announced but before it had come out. Yes, in fact, it's officially the last 3.5 edition book that came out from Wizards of the Coast. It's called Elder Evils, and in fact, if you look on the back cover, there's even an ad for D&D Insider on it, just to show how far along 4th edition was. Uh, It's by Robert J. Schwab. Uh, He's the the main cover credit, but if you look at the inside credits, there's actually a lot of the people that eventually worked for Paizo, so James Jacobs, Jason Bowman are all in there. And it's... uh, I, I picked up the book purely for the historical significance of it being the last book published, but I was surprised at just how in how how perfect it is of a DM tool, because it basically teaches you how to outline an entire campaign in uh, five pages or less. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, and it's and it was supposed to be sort of a, a transition book, right? It was supposed to be a book that was useful to people doing third, playing third edition or fourth edition. So it makes a makes it a particularly good cornerstone for this episode where we have the the three point five Pathfinder guy on uh, a show that largely talks about fourth edition. That's right. I, it was advertised as being fourth edition compatible. Mechanically, that's not true, and there's <laughs> more mechanics in here than you would imagine. Um, but uh, I just recently found out from you uh, when we were talking before recording for the episode of my show that you just appeared on, uh, episode 189. People should go check um, out. Yeah, of course. 
You mentioned that on Dungeons Dragons Insider, they have the fourth edition conversion for this material. I'm pretty sure that's true. I'm pretty sure I saw that um, recently. Well, now you've made a liar out of me. I should, I should double, ch- I should double check because <laughs> these do. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I saw that when I when I when we talked about that. So, in any case, well, assuming it's true, well, I checked that out. Okay, it is still a fairly easy book to find for cover price or cheaper so if this stuff is available to people with a dndi ddi subscription anyway uh, i would say this is definitely worth the price just for the ideas and the dming advice and then you're saying that there might even be fourth edition content compatible with it give, give me a monster from the book uh okay so um atropus a-t-r-o-p-u-s the planet born dead sorry the world born dead Atropus. I get two responses. Oh, and they're both. Oh, maybe I shouldn't look at our classes. Atropus class. It shows, <laughs> it shows. It shows up in Warlock for some reason. Atropus. Oh. Uh, aspect of Atropus. Published in Elder Evils. Bam. A thirtieth level solo brute. So yes. Oh, okay. That confirms it. it. They they have them in there. And that sounds perfect because this is CR twenty three, and of course. Third edition only went up to, to basically 20. 20th level, mm-hmm. and then there were rules for playing beyond 20th level. But So CR 23 is about equivalent to 30th level uh, solo. We'll say it is. So yeah, sounds like we got the right thing. Okay, good. It, uh, Elder Evils recommends that when you're designing your whole campaign, there's basically only five elements you really need to outline. Okay. Uh, and the first one... Oh, sorry. I said okay. Go ahead. Okay. First one is your villain. Even if your PCs aren't going to be encountering your villain for the entirety of the campaign until the very end, you should know what your villain is. You should know what makes it unique. You should know how it's uniquely powerful. And it absolutely has to have a motivation, which is the second of the elements you need for your campaign. You need a goal. Something is being worked towards that no matter what level your characters are, at all points in the game, they should have the sense that there's some there's these coinciding events that are all pointing in the same direction and it doesn't matter when your PCs figure out what the goal of your villain is it just has to be one of the things that unifies the whole campaign because otherwise a campaign can just feel like the adventures of these PCs not mm-hmm. the story of overcoming this event so the villain and the goal are your first two elements of the campaign third one is also uh, fairly closely tied to the goal it's the associates these are the people that are carrying out this end goal. And these are the people that the PCs can be encountering as they go on. So, you know, the cultist or the assistant cultist leads to the cultist, leads to the cleric, leads to, you know, the son of, leads to your main villain. Are they all bad guys or could the associates be NPCs in general? They would be. Okay. So could it, right. could it include I, like the patron or what have you? Yes, absolutely. And even... I've been using villain because this is Elder Evils. Sure. But it really is the antagonist. Mm -hmm. And if it's an evil campaign and you've got a heroic villain at the end, that can work. And if it's a Shades of Grey campaign and your hero's fighting a hero that's on a a crooked path or whatever, I'm going to continue with villain because I like that word. But yes, I just just wasn't sure if if Associates was was intended to be specific, like your your opposition, or if it was a more general, like these are this is the cast of characters. They are the lesser beings helping the villain reach its goal. Okay, so it is is associated with your villain. 
associated, yes. Okay. And they should each have their own motivation, not as all-encompassing as the villains, but it should all make sense. Okay. There's a reason that Starscream and Megatron got along even... Well, they didn't get along, but they still work together. Okay. <laughs> it's great that everything goes back to 80s cartoons with you. <laughs> I've been heavy on the Transformers lately. I, I, I don't know why. Well, I could, I could talk some Transformers with you. I've been going through the old ones with my son. Oh, really? I, I have not had the chance. In any case, we don't want to get too off track. Number four. You know what I liked about Transformers? Number four. I'm taking notes Grimlock. over here. I'm taking, okay. I'm taking notes, notes over here so we can flesh them out later. Yes, yes. Number four is the timeline. There's it, each of these villains, depending on the CR, because some of them aren't as high as the others. But basically, if you divide the entire campaign length based on the CR of your main villain, divide it into five so that you're encountering these associates every five or so level or every fifth of the campaign. And it's you don't have to exactly write out their whole plot. You don't have to make the entire dungeon. You just have to know that at fifth level, if we look at the Atropis uh, timeline, mm-hmm. uh, Kara Zastin, uh, driven mad with grief at the loss of her husband. You know, if you've read the whole thing, this makes more sense. Uh, vows revenge on the gods, having heard wild rumors of the world born dead. She sends out her minions to steal a manuscript held in a vault beneath a cathedral in one of the largest cities in the setting. That's basically all you really need. Just a couple of pointers of what's going to be happening around EL5. And never having run a Tropis, I can imagine they're not going to be facing Kara Zastin right there, but they will be uh, encountering her associates, her minions, right. that are out and stealing these multiple things from the city. Right. So you, uh, in a Tropis's case, there's one at uh, encounter level 5, one at encounter level 10, one at encounter level 15, another one at 17, and one at 20. Mm-hmm. And finally, coinciding with your timeline is something exclusive to Elder Evils called Signs of the Apocalypse. So not only is, is your, your villain, you know, he's got machinations, he's got these goals that are slowly being worked towards, but at a certain point, and in the case of Atropus, it starts faintly with the second tier, so the one that happens at level 10, um, things start to happen. The world starts to be influenced. In Atropus's case... When the faint sign happens, necromancy spells and spell-like abilities are cast at plus two caster levels. And when a, whenever a living creature dies, a 20% chance exists that it will spontaneously rise as a zombie. Okay, so this is, um, to, to sort of more generalize that, that fifth one then, it's, it's the way you sort of start to hint and, and weave in threads of the larger storyline, even at early levels. So if you're going to do a campaign that goes, you know, to 20th or 30th if, or what have you, um, this mm-hmm. is sort of discussing ways that you can start to, to bring these things together, even though it may only be fifth level, but you're starting to hint at this larger storyline early on and, and, supporting, exactly. and supporting it mechanically. Yeah, up to a certain point, it may just be a name that you're hearing, a common symbol that you're seeing, rumors that you constantly are hearing that you don't understand. But once you reach this faint sign, that's when things start making sense. The rumors mm-hmm. start coming true. The sign, like you didn't get why it was, a, you know, a, a goat standing up, but now suddenly all goats are starting to stand up and they're starting to turn on the farmers. Something like that. Sure. Okay. And so uh, what, what are the different levels of signs? You said it was faint? Faint, moderate, strong, and overwhelming. All right. I'm, I'm taking notes so that we can actually go through and fill these in and build a campaign. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. In fact, we can maybe build my campaign for my, my next campaign because my current one, I think, is going to wrap up this summer. Ooh. If you want to help me build my campaign. 
I do want to help you build your campaign. Awesome. And actually, then, if you continue to talk about it on the DM show or on the Tome show, it'll make it'll sense be fun getting updates on how <laughs> it's right. going along. That's right. And, yeah, it'll be, I think, depending on the timing and when, um, when the open playtest stuff starts and what have you, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be running the next edition with it, too. We'll see. That'd be fun. So. so this would be a third edition book, fourth edition compatible that you'd be using the advice in your in my, D&D next game. In my D&D next game. <laughs> <laughs> to try to convolute it a little more. Or maybe not. Maybe I'll keep running fourth with it or something. We'll see. But in any right. case, So the, those are the, the five elements. Regardless. So the five, elements. five elements. Did you want to explore any one of them a little more? Um, I say let's jump right in. Let's, let's uh, build something. And All right. we, we can go from there. I showed up with only one preconceived notion. Okay. Your villain should either, either your villain or your associates should be the entire contents of the Beholder collector box that came out a couple years ago. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> we, I promised to have you on and do something with those, didn't I? <laughs> Absolutely. Not just, not just something in the box, the entire content of the box. I see. We can do that. All right. I think we can do that. See, now, Beholder's Wizards of the Coast intellectual property, so I, I don't have the right to use it anymore. That's why I need you. you right. need to, I need to vicariously use Beholder's, <laughs> Beholders through, through me. Well, you, can, you still have stats for Beholder's. You can still use them. Your old books are still there. Absolutely. But there's just, I don't know why, but it feels weird using Beholder now. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I'll use Beholder's. Um, so our villain is a cadre of five Beholder's. I thought a cadre was four. No, that would be a quattro. I didn't realize that cadre had a specific number associated with it. Shows how Maybe smart, I'm wrong. Shows how smart I am. <laughs> or how wrong I am. Well, you're using the Canadian English, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's, I have a, I had a, a sort of idea for, for my next campaign brewing in my head a little bit anyway. So let me give you some, some ideas. Um, although most of what we're talking about I don't have fleshed out. Um, but and this is where my listen, my own players should stop listening. Um, the idea is this: I wanted to try to build a campaign that would make it very easy to incorporate a lot of different things. Um, okay. Be a little bit more sandboxy than my current campaign because my current one is is very much you know when we started before the campaign started, I knew what the last encounter was, right? So I knew exactly where it was going and what was going to happen, uh, and you know we sort of move around uh, in between. But there was a, a definite direct goal. This one I wanted to be a little bit more sandboxy, and I want it to be a little bit more uh, kitchen sinkish, if you will, in that um, I was basically looking for a, a good excuse to be able to say, hey, the new Dark Sun stuff is out. Let's, let's take the adventure to Dark Sun you know, next month. Or you know, this new book is out. Let's go explore Shadowfell or you know, be able to jump around and, and have it make sense but still tell a cohesive story. Okay. So the concept was a setting that uh, is tentatively called Nexus, that is sort of uh, at, a, at a central point between all these different worlds mm-hmm. and has you know, influences with all these different worlds. You know? There may not be just an open portal where Warforged are marching through, but you may see three or four Warforged in the world that came from Eberron you know, because they have some travel in between, although protected. You know, I sort of envision it a little bit like Stargate, right? There's there's a small group of people who have access to the ability to go to all these other worlds. But they bring back okay. they bring back things and it influences the world at large. Okay. I'm being distracted by a thought. Is that's not a wrestling reference, is it? Not intentionally. Okay. There was a, a WWE reality show called WWE Next 
And then most of the contestants showed up as a faction called the Nexus. Oh, no. That so was... anyway, just a funny parallel. No, just a funny parallel. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So that's the, that's the idea is that um, they're in this sort of this kitchen sink sort of world where I, I'll, anything is possible. Um, at first, I, I, my idea was to start it off real small. You know, you're in a small village. There's this sort of established aristocracy in the place that could be secretly being manipulated by a cadre of beholders. Yeah. Um, but then they discover this this ability to go to other worlds, and that's why there's all these different resources. And, and so most of the world at large may not know about these things, but this world has all these all this fantastic magic. Um, and, and I thought that would be a fun way to explore and be able to do lots of different things. So that's what I have so far for my idea. And I want to put a lot of the setting building into the hands of the, of the players, but... Perfect. I was going to ask. So, does that mean that your like, like your starting point plane mm-hmm. will be a, a homebrewed campaign? It won't be pre-established material, right? Okay. And so, it may not appear to be anything out of the ordinary, except at some point they'll realize that it's maybe a waypoint between all the different realms, right? Okay. So that's a good start. So then, how do we tie our villain and maybe his goal into this idea of planar travel? Well, and and my original thought was that there would be uh, this sort of aristocracy that is mm-hmm. sort of sort of plays the role of the villain. Maybe they're the associates, if you will. Um, okay. You know, through most of the campaign, maybe the players think that they're the villains, and then it turns out they're a, they're a, a facade, a, a face for the real villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I guess at this point, my, my the motivation I think that they're looking at is probably controlling this this travel in order to exploit the resources of other places, right? Okay. I was actually thinking the other direction. What if, say, all these beholders are the same beholder, but each from a different realm that mm-hmm. realize there's this one realm in the middle, and so they mm-hmm. all meet there and realize that if they can control this one realm in the middle, they, they control, control everything. Okay, so I, what if the... The aristocracy is working on the idea of exploiting the resources of other places. Okay, because, that makes sense. Because that makes that sense gives, for them. That's their yeah. motivation. But then the beholders themselves are looking for planner domination. Okay. And because you wanted this to be open, you can almost you can outline two separate campaigns that, depending on which way the players go, they could explore the beholder timeline or they could explore the um, aristocracy timeline. Right. And that it puts a lot more control into the player's hands. It won't feel like every time they make a choice, you have to shunt them back in the direction of whatever timeline we establish. Right. I like it. Good, good. And I, and I, right. and I do want to keep some things vague. Like I, I, I'm speaking very general about aristocracy, and I don't want to necessarily get much more detail than that because I want to give a lot of, a lot of wiggle room for the players to sort of introduce characters and, and create some of the world too. So it's purposely vague at this point. I, I just want to be, make that clear to the listeners as well. Okay. Uh, can I ask uh, alignment questions about the aristocracy? Sure. Will they be like, is it just a selfish goal or is once they have the power over all these realms... Do they have some nefarious plan, or do they believe they're doing it so that someone they trust has the power? Um, in my head, it's it's pretty much a selfish thing. Now, again, that could change depending on being more sandboxy. I, we'll see what happens, right? Mm-hmm. In my head, right now, I'm thinking of it thinking of it as uh, think Imperial England, right? Okay. They don't necessarily see themselves as the villains. 
but they're not really thinking about how they're impacting everybody else that they're going and going around yeah. exploiting either. You know? The Saxons sure thought they were the villains. Sure. <laughs> but the British empire thought they were bringing civilization to the rest of the world, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so I could kind of see this aristocracy thinking, you know, what's happening to them isn't important. We're the support, superior people. We we're using those resources to, to better ourselves and, and, okay. and, and we should be able to. Now, what if, uh, if we were to skip to the timeline for a second, what mm-hmm. if one of the, uh, say the strong signs is when they realize that this power that they're accumulating is actually destroying these other realms. And that's kind of when the aristocracy makes the decision that they're okay with that. Okay, so this, at, the, at the strong point, are you looking at think, talking about signs or timeline? I was talking about signs. You're right. I said okay. timeline. My mistake. So on the, at, when they reach the strong point uh, on the signs of the apocalypse, the, it, it is evident that other realms are being destroyed. That's right. And at that point, may, you know, depending on how the story has gone, maybe some of the aristocracy then says, that's fine because we're the superior people and it's more important that we do well than other people. And you might actually have some of them become flip sides and suddenly they're joining the PCs and saying, you know what? You're right. This mm-hmm. isn't, this isn't good and we need to, to do something about it. Okay. So if I may, is it all right if we explore it basically based on ideas we get, we'll jump back and forth between the five elements of campaign and then recap the whole thing at the end? Sure. Okay, that's good. So I'd like to focus a little bit on the signs then, because uh, if we look at, say, so we just established what the strong could be. Mm -hmm. So the moderates could be that that's when people have a lot more access. People on this nexus plane have a lot more access to the other planes. There's giant rifts that are opening or people that maybe have a certain magic item suddenly have easy access to the other planes. And the faint one would just be that things are accidentally shunting Mm -hmm. from one plane to another. So it could be the entire party is in the middle of fighting a dragon and then suddenly they find themselves in the middle of dark sun and they're, they're, you know, at the, a slave camp or something like that. Now I don't know, know that I necessarily want the, the actual moving around of things to be so haphazard. You know, I I mentioned that, that that part of my idea was that it was very controlled, right? That's why the, that's how the aristocracy is able to use this. And Mm. and I had sort of this vision of, of like the, the Stargate sort of thing, right? There's, there's, a place, a, a portal or what have you um, that is able to, to move people around. Um, but one of, the, one of my early ideas for, for uh, lower levels to begin with was, you know, how, can, how do we make this larger planner thing um, without being obvious about it? How do we make it relevant to first, second, third level characters? And part of the idea was that maybe there are threats that they start running into that shouldn't exist. Like nobody's ever seen these in the world before. That's a terrible idea, Jeff. Okay, never mind. Oh, but what if early on there are these threats that just should not exist that wow. the PCs start running into? Wow, that's brilliant. And I wish I'd have thought of that. Well, Jeff, you don't have my level of creativity, I know, clearly. I know, I know. So I thought that would be a good faint, faint one, right? Some just odd things start, start appearing. Whether, sure, whether so there's something that's Magic items or a monster or whatever, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so moderate then is, is um, it becomes obvious to the people of Nexus that all the stuff is going on. 
You know? Yeah, absolutely. Every time they use the Stargate, there's some giant bolt of purple lightning that goes straight into the or sky. You just can't hide the fact that there are Warforged anymore, or there's other things coming into the world, and, and it's like, wait a minute. Okay, I kind of believe that you invented a new technology and you invented Warforged once, but now it's getting ridiculous. You know? <laughs> you, you've you just invented way too many new magical creations, and, and people just stop buying it. They start as, assu- right. assuming that things, something is going on. Uh, strong, then, is that it's evident that other, other realms are being destroyed. Yep. Um, and so people got to make a decision whether to do it or not. So what is our overwhelming? Overwhelming really has to be the apop- the apocalyptic moment in your campaign where basically the 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 uh, aristocracy, right? I'm saying that right? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, maybe now they've either lost control or they've lost their they've lost themselves in the power. And so if something's not done about them, even the nexus is threatened. Okay. And, and so part of me, the, the whole realm could just be disintegrating, like slowly yeah. um, evaporating into the sky. I, I almost, chunks of land. I almost wonder if it wouldn't be fun to do the opposite, right? Rather than oh. every, rather than everything is falling apart, suddenly all of the realms are calamitously pushing together. You know, you, okay. almost, you almost are creating a new planar Big Bang, right? Where all matter and energy in the universe, in the multiverse, is suddenly converging on one point. That sounds cool, but why is that a bad thing? Because it also would mean the destruction of everything, right? The Big Bang. Uh, okay. In the Big Bang, nothing survives and everything starts over. True. So, I guess that's why it's the Big Bang and right. not the Big Party. Yes. So. Okay, that's cool because that means you can bring in high-level creatures from, from other campaign settings and right. really start having going, things running rampant. Yeah, yeah there's definitely a lot, of, uh, just a lot of encounter ideas you can come out of that. All right, excellent. Now, the we've got kind of themes to the signs of the apocalypse. The way it's done in Elder Evils is that each one has a numeric effect. Like mm-hmm. I was talking about the restless dead, mm-hmm. you know, zombies start rising up. Right. Did you want to explore some of those ideas or just kind of leave it as vague ideas that you can codify as you come up with the, uh, in them the later? In the interest of sandboxiness and time, let's leave it as vague ideas and move on. Okay, excellent. So we... Are you happy with our villain, or would you like to explore the aristocracy a little more? I think I'm happy with the villain. Um, okay. I like the, I like the idea of the, sort of this shadow um, single beholder of of different worlds coming together sort of concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the aristocracy, which which was my original um, villain idea, and I like being able to sort of flesh that out as we go. I think the only thing we don't have filled out is timeline at this point. All right, excellent. So then, while they are making their major events, you just basically have to find five encounters to divide up the things equally so that it's not just while they're on an adventure, they see these faint signs, but they, at one point, start interacting with the signs. Okay. And so these are, at these five things, is when you switch to the different signs? Yes. Is that how that works? So. It's both when a sign increases in intensity and when the players become more involved in the signs. Okay. So step one in the timeline could be level two. And that's, sure. when, that's when you see the faint sign. Yes. Okay. okay. Well, there, technically, there was a pre-faint sign where it was just like rumors and, and rumblings. Okay. But you don't have to follow this exact format if you don't want, if you want to go straight to these well, things showing up. We can do that and, and do... Step one is your pre-faint. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, level one is your pre-faint. Okay. And then, you know, go jump to level three or four for your faint. And actually, I should then ask, what? Do, how long do you envision this campaign going on? Like, what's the highest level you figure the PCs will be? 
that's hard to say if I because if I'm running it in fourth edition, I have one concept. If I'm running it in D and D next, then I don't know what my concept is because I don't know what is going to be standard at this point. So, what if we use it more like tiers? Do you imagine it being heroic, uh, the next one, Paragon, or Epic? I see the the campaign running through heroic up to Paragon. Okay. Okay. So then, starting at second level, that's good because if yeah, if it's still you're basically getting it to high level play, but not really high level play. So second level is a good click to start intensifying things, and then uh, you'll have to translate into fourth edition parlance. But in third edition parlance, then about seventh level. So when the PCs start to be more significant than the average hero, mm-hmm. that's maybe when things increase to moderate. Mm-hmm. That, and that would be, I, I mean, I usually try to make those shifts at a, at a tier shift, right? In heroic. Oh, okay. in what heroic, are the tier shifts? So you go from heroic, uh, which is 1 to 10, and then you go to paragon at 11 through 20. Okay. So so 10th level seems to be, you know, sort of, we would conclude 10th level at that sort of shift uh, when we go to moderate. Okay. So then from 2nd level to 10th level will be, or until 9th level will be the faint sign, and then at 10th level, we are looking at the moderate sign. Yes, and then I think maybe go 15 strong. Okay. And I want to say 19 overwhelming, which to give them a level. I was going to suggest that. Give them a sort of one level to sort of then fix it. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to say, like, here's this huge problem that you don't have any time to actually explore and interact with, have fun with. Right. You know, players have fun with. Obviously, the PCs would be freaking out. Or they would be if they weren't heroic. Right. Okay. Good. Okay. So let's recap. Our villain is uh, two separate organizations. You've got the aristocracy and the uh, the, the beholders. Right. Well, of beholders. And I sort of see the, the villains as the beholders who are manipulating the aristocracy as their associates. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I hadn't picked up on that. Yes, I like that. I like that because it means the beholders are the villains. Yes, the beholders are the villains. The aristocracy are actually the associates, although they look like the villains for about the first half of the campaign. Okay. The goal of the beholders is that they want to, they want to use the power that the aristocracy is building up for their own personal gain and destroy the universe or reshape the universe in their own image. Dominate, destroy, what have you. Yeah. All right. Crush, I mean, kill, destroy. And, and depending on how things go, it could be more dis- destruction, right? I mean, beholders are aberrant creatures, so theoretically they're you know from the Far Realm and interested in converting everything into Far Realminess. So okay. you, you, it leaves it open to that go to that direction as well. I really like the aristocracy as associates because not only is there a built-in hierarchy because it's like a, mm-hmm. you know, it's an organization. So there would be lower level, less significant people all the way on up. But it also then, when you get to the top of the aristocracy, you think you've reached, you know, these are the people that are behind it all. And you realize that not only is there a level above them, but it's a complete shift from these like politically driven businessmen to these crazy one-eyed monsters. Mm. Uh, it, it's... It, and in it, fact, it's like a, a 180 degrees, but it still makes sense how it went from from there to there. And, and I think that moment is at the end of tenth level. At the end of oh, tenth, tenth level. At the end of tenth level, I think that's when they that's when they think that they they've defeated the villain. Yay! The campaign's over. We, we've defeated the aristocracy. Oh wait, there's beholders. 
You know, and okay. then maybe the beholders become the, the true villain that they discover through the Paragon tier. Now, I was going to suggest 15th level for when they realize it's the beholders, but one of the advantages to yours is that it gives them a lot of room to try and just run from city to sea saying, it's not the aristocracy. We all hate the aristocracy, but it's the beholders. There's mm-hmm. really this, you know, it's, if we look at Star Wars, the average person may just look at the Empire as this right. big thing and not realizing that it's actually some crazy old wizard. <laughs> with with lightning powers that's actually behind everything. Mm-hmm. And I like the I like the aristocracy as well because um it creates an opportunity to have recurring villains because if mm-hmm. you're if you're first second third level and you're you know running afoul of the plans of of a local duke you can you can stop his plans. But if you kill yep. the duke, you're in trouble. You know, and, that, and bigger trouble than at third level you can deal with. You know, um, so you have to almost let the villain get away. Otherwise, the consequences yeah. are, are too large. Unless you can prove that you know the Duke did something bad, which you know, as a DM, you just got to make sure they can't. You can't prove it. Or even if you can prove it, it's not up to every Joe adventurer to take the law into their own hands. Right. Yes, go and kill all the dragons and orcs. Right. But this is a Duke. There's laws governing how he gets punished for what he did. Right. So I like, those laws might just be a slap on the wrist. I like having the opportunity to do that. I've, I've also been toying with, in some of my story design and things uh, recently, I've been toying with the idea of really sort of building up a villain, and then at some point the villain switches on you. You know? Sure. So maybe the Duke is your villain all along, and you hate the Duke, and the Duke is horrible, and everything's, you know, you've really got to get that guy, but he keeps, you know, we can't get him because, you know, whatever, he's the Duke, and we can't, we can't get him. But then... When the Duke finds out that this is all going to destroy the world, maybe the Duke said, oh, okay, I was, I was all about getting rich, and I may have been a big jerk to you guys, but I'm not – You know, it doesn't matter if I'm rich if, if we're destroying the world, right? And so suddenly the Duke becomes an associate, and they have to deal with that. That tension of, but we we've hated this guy for so long, you know, <laughs> and, and now now he's helping us, and but I hate that guy, you know. Yeah, I like it, and it just it kind of would show that this is bigger than a campaign about some PCs against some Duke. Mm-hmm. The Duke is part of a larger machine, and that larger machine is controlled by a crazy engineer. Right. Okay, good. I like where we're at. And that crazy engineer turns into a tape deck and launches <laughs> robots from his chest. Stop it. Stop it. Okay, all right, all right. Should I ever tell you about, tell you about my Warforged character idea? No, tell me more. He's going to be a bard, and I'm going to call him Soundwave. Oh, nice. Can bards <laughs> summon it all in, in fourth edition? Mm, I don't know. Because if you could make it so that he also summons, summons then, yeah. birds and, and panthers. Even better. Yeah. Maybe he's a hybrid bard druid. I like it. <laughs> anyway, that's, not, that's neither here nor there. No, but it might be stolen. <laughs> yeah, I'll allow it. Thank you. Because then wave becomes a play on words. Because you could be like uh, from, this sh- from the shore. Yes. Okay. All so right. uh, We've recapped our villain, the goal, our associates. Uh, did you want any other associates that, uh, other than the aristocracy that they are working with the Beholder? Could they be in cahoots with uh, some kind of blue dragon? <laughs> just because just you, you know, just because just, just you know, I like blue dragons. Do you? I, I do. <laughs> was that on the recording or pre-recording? I don't remember. I think it was pre-recording. I think it was. 
But for example, I mean, you get to do stuff you like too. I do. Um, here's part of my, my struggle with that, right? Is that if I'm going to create this sort of situation where I can bring in all these different settings and things, I sort of want to leave some room to each visit into a setting is going to have its own villain as well. Right. Or at least mini villain or what have you that could also be tied to the larger story. Mm-hmm. I, di- I did have a concept of a, of a, of an organization, you know, again, maybe when I came up with this idea, I was watching a lot of Stargate. I don't know, but, um, there could be an organization that is in charge of this portal or what have you that goes to the other world, Mm -hmm. controlling these things. That is a larger organization that's, you know, maybe being manipulated by the, the aristocracy, but is separate from them. Okay. Um, What's good about that is that gives PCs access to this portal as well. Right. Uh, and then the, and the PCs could actually be part of that organization. Yeah, but then of course because that organization is beholden to the aristocracy, which is being manipulated by the beholders, they could actually turn into to associates uh, of the villain at some point as well. In fact, if you want to go a little Skyrim with it, you can develop the aristocracy and this other organization equally, and early in the campaign present joining one of the two as an option to as the player option. because mm-hmm. you do want an open world, and so they'll either go with these crazy magic users that have figured out this magic or the businessmen that are sponsoring them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you may have people that go both. You may have, you know, some of the party decide that they're going to back one and some of the other. Why not? The businessmen and the magic artists are working together. Why can't people in the party also work together? Maybe everybody joins the, uh, the, the organization, you know, the, the Stargate, <laughs> Stargate command, if you will. Okay. Uh, and, and then one person, can decides- we not, can we find at least <laughs> no, a, a no. better placeholder name? <laughs> No, they're all the port holders. They're they're start portents. Start Stargate Command. You don't like portents? I don't know. Sure, <laughs> we can go portents. Right. So maybe all, the party in general joins the portents, right? But then um, one of them joins the aristocracy organization, mm-hmm. which works because you know then their job becomes to keep an eye on the other people and make sure they're doing the right thing. You know, sure. It's why Black Widow is in the Avengers movie that's coming out. I believe you. She represents Steel's interest in the Avengers, who are otherwise an autonomous... Uh-huh. Actually, no. Sorry. No. They're all working for Steel, aren't they? Shield, uh, I mean. Okay. I'm sh- sorry. Shield makes I'm more wrong. sense. Than- yeah. Steel would be the Superman uh, ally. Yes. And would not make sense in an Avengers. Yes. Why are we still talking about Avengers, Jeff? Um, Let's move on to the timeline. Because the Avengers are awesome? Oh, I'm really looking forward to the Avengers. The movie looks cool. Yeah, it does. I'm not so uh, crazy about Captain America's redesign, though. I like the Captain America movie costume better than the Avengers movie co- uh, Captain America costume. So, timeline. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's what I was saying. The timeline. The five events that divine the campaign uh, to, to, to the end goal. They divide. Anyway, you know what the timeline is. We already talked about it. Right. Uh, so, recap. What's our timeline look like? So, uh, timeline, first level is... When they first discover that strange things are happening in the world, um, mm-hmm. I suppose we can go ahead and define that. What, get, give me something that could be that could be bleeding through, that shouldn't. Uh, be. Uh, uh, a psionic creature from Dark Sun. Okay. Psionic Dark Sun thing. Mm-hmm. So, so the first time the first timeline is is first level, or the first event in the timeline is first level. They encounter some psionic Dark Sun thing that gives them the hint that strange things are going on. Right. This obviously couldn't be the first encounter because they'd have to know the world well enough to know that suddenly a psionic creature, that's a different power source. They're not used to these creatures. Right. 
And so then they could be like, well, who are we going to talk to about this? Oh, well, I know that these guys that have these portals and I know there's this aristocracy that are always dealing with these other things. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, um, that's step the first. Yeah. Some, an encounter, and I'm almost t- tempted to make it something in encounter number one of the entire campaign. Okay. Well, yeah. how would you establish that? Because we, we can have a conversation establishing some setting details, right? Where they can talk, tell me what the world is like. And then I can pick a creature that night, you know, flipping through the book that shouldn't fit that conception. And then they can all be yeah. sitting like, no, no, no. We said that isn't here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you will uh, uh, indulge me, the first scene with Will Smith in Men in Black He's chasing an alien, and the alien starts crawling up walls and doing some crazy mm-hmm. things. And the movie hasn't flat out said this is weird for Will Smith. It's in his reaction that we see that this does right. not belong. And I and I do sort of like starting campaigns in media res, if you will. Where oh, I love in media res. You begin in the action, so I like the idea of yes, you're, that's you're, media you're, res. Thank you. Definition <laughs> of the term, Jeff. Yes, but not everybody is familiar with the term. Maybe so. I thought I would help people out. You know, we have an, we have an audience. Um, so, <laughs> in any I know game, I have an audience. So, Ryan, <laughs> diplomacy, who's being diplomatic tonight? Um, <laughs> so, I sort of like the idea of you know the first encounter is you're all in this village. It's being attacked by these things that shouldn't be there. You know? Perfect, and that's that's encounter number one. That's the first night. Okay, so then our faint. When we transition to faint, and that's happening at third level. Our oh, next third level now? I think you said second level earlier. Oh, I changed it to space out a little bit. Okay. Can't you see my notes? <laughs> no. Oh. No, I can't. Jeff. I can only hear your notes, and your notes are changing. Slacker. Okay. <laughs> so first level, strange things happen. Third level is when we switch over to uh, more and more odd things appearing. So, I mean, it could just be a, a scaled-up version of the, of the first encounter, too, right? It could be. I think it would have to be on... Maybe, like, there's some kind of community meeting saying, the, the, we're seeing this increase in currents of these creatures, and that's why I've invited this group of adventurers who first discovered them. Something along those mm-hmm. lines. And, you know, maybe they have a, a caged version of one of these creatures that they didn't know eats steel. And so gets out of the cage, is and a, now you've got... Is a rust monster. Oh, yeah. Perfect. This giant insect thing, luckily we've captured him in this cage that he is snacking on. Yes, the rust monster. Nice. Good pull. All right, so and I almost like the idea of it. It's some sort of patron, right? Who's calling calling on them for help? Who could end yeah. up being a patron later on, and maybe introduces them to the organizations? Somebody of, sure. of a little more importance, maybe just local, little the the mayor of the village, or you know, maybe uh, tied to the aristocracy. You know, just some minor noble who has lands nearby, who True. calls who calls on them for for assistance, and says, "See, look, we've we've captured one of them. It's the rust monster. It eats through the bars. It escapes and." Runs rampant and everybody goes crazy. Mm-hmm. The only people that can stop it are the adventurers. Excellent. So then, at moderate, we switch to the point where access or, or this bleed through of new things is becoming more and more obvious mm-hmm. to people, to the common person. The common person is now recognizing that there's something going on and things are coming from other places. Yeah. Um, so now, are we still at tenth level? So that yeah, I'm still at tenth level. 
Okay, that's good because that means that you start you like you firmly establish the campaign themes, mm-hmm. and then because you want it to be very open world, from third level to tenth level, it's pretty much in the PC's control. Right. Okay. Continue. So, well, I I was continuing, um, <laughs> but I but I'm, I'm brainstorming what what to do at tenth level here. Okay. So, um, well, just to recap, what was our, uh, our, our note about it, our, our title? Our sign is that um, this is when the bleed through, or the, the access to other things becomes obvious. The, the rest of the world, it becomes abundantly clear to them that something strange is going on. It's not just a, a few random, unusual encounters. You know? Now, the party may know what's going on at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we also established this is when the party would discover the beholders are behind things. Well, we, I talked about that, and you talked about move, doing that at fifteenth. And so, I think I like the idea of doing it at fifteenth now. I think oh, you, well, you conv- thank you. you've convinced me. Really, I um, convinced you by agreeing with you. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, so just to give an idea of uh, how things are going to progress from seventh, uh, from third to tenth level, it sounds like the PCs are always going to be one step ahead over common knowledge. Right. And so the the PCs are the first ones to discover this monster, and then the faint sign is everyone else discovers the monster. And so maybe by third level, the PCs have started to make a connection to the aristocracy and the portents, and so then they they'll be exploring that for the next seven levels. So by tenth level, the common knowledge will be oh the PCs have been right all this time. There is some connection between these creatures and the portents and the aristocracy. Right. And by then the PCs may be saying. No, actually, we think there's something greater. And I'm almost tempted to say that it's at that point that the split between the portents and the aristocracy happens. That suddenly like there's it. some friction there, and the PCs have to choose a side. That maybe, oh, yes. That maybe, maybe, was... that, maybe that's our encounter at 10th at level, is there's a division. They're now working against each other very obviously. Now, they might come together again later. Probably. But, but they're working against each other for the moment, and you've got to pick a side. Yeah, excellent. Choose. Now, is it possible that um, to kind of silence the PCs, whichever faction they don't go with, shoves them into the portal and tries to just abandon, the, abandon them somewhere plane else? Deal with them, mm-hmm. and then you can follow that up with five levels of of plane hopping, right? And maybe slowly noticing this connection of there's this powerful beholder in each of these other planes. Mm-hmm. So where is that beholder in our plane? Yes. Good. I like it. All right. Then by 15th level, they come back and, oh, there's that beholder. They're all in cahoots. And well, and, and, the- and that works out well, too, because if they're plane hopping around from 10th to 15th, we said our strong sign was that it becomes obvious that the other, other planes are being destroyed by, by, oh, what's, yeah. by what's going on in Nexus. So if they're plane hopping, then all of a sudden they, they, see, they find evidence of the planes breaking down. Yeah, they've come to the edge of the realms. Right. And so I think that's when they fight their first beholder. Okay. And that's what so they simultaneously discover that the worlds are being destroyed or maybe they've discovered it all along but that's when everybody else gets to find out that the worlds are being mm-hmm. destroyed. Um so they've been finding it out for 10th through 15th level that the worlds are being destroyed and now they finally make it back and they can report to it but to get back they have to fight their way through their first beholder. When they figure out what's start to figure out what's going on behind the scenes, excellent, and that's what brings them to the rest of the beholders' attention, right? Because by now they've been a thorn in the side of the aristocracy, but maybe the beholders are just kind of tangentially aware of them, right? Good. 
The 19th level is when we have our overwhelming sign where there's complete bleed through and the beginnings of the compaction that will eventually lead to the planar Big Bang. Yeah. So by now, the aristocracy and the portents would be back together saying all this fighting is not helping anyone, Mm -hmm. but it's almost pointless. They, even combined at this point, are not powerful enough to take out the beholders. Only the PCs can do that. Right. So what's, what's what's our encounter then at 19th level? Uh, our encounter, I guess, would be well. Okay, so because we're, we're, sa- we're saving defeating the beholders for the end. Yes, at twentieth. Okay, you're right. So we do need one initiating incident, or uh, not initiating. We need a, a turning point at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so well, uh, going once again with maybe they, maybe the PCs are the ones that come to the revelation. Uh, but then we're putting thoughts into the player's head. That's a lot harder to plan out. Um, it's definitely related to the portents and the aristocracy unifying once again. Possibly one significant threat on the Nexus that has broken through the portal. So the most significant threat that's made it through to the portal to the point that it that everyone on the plane acknowledges that we are in a lot of trouble right now. All right. Here's what I've written down. Super Dragon God threatens the world. Nice. I don't know what the super dragon god is. It doesn't matter. But it doesn't we'll, have to be super a dragon or a god. It just we'll has figure, to we'll figure that out as we go. Super dragon god. Right. I, I sort of have a vision of Tiamat, you know. I had that same vision. Well, T- when you say dragon god. Right, I, I doubt it would be Bahamut. <laughs> I'm just saying. Is everyone okay here? <laughs> I will have you know at my oh, game last Bahamut. weekend, we killed Bahamut. Oh, my goodness. Your PCs are monsters. Eh, he's being possessed. Well, you don't kill him. You kill the possession. But we couldn't get to him. Bahamut was in the way. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, that we had to go through Bahamut to get to the bad guy. There had to be other signs. <laughs> Not other signs. Other ways. It was a one shot. We didn't care that much. Oh, okay. It wasn't part of your graphic no. campaign. <laughs> no, because oh. there would be consequences no, killing no. Bahamut. God of good dragons. No, this is a one shot. So okay, so okay. I, I like this. And then twentieth level, we obviously finish it by killing beholders. Yep. Kill all beholders. Now let me ask you, Jeff. How many pages are your notes on? The notes that I've taken right now. Yep. Um, one really large page. So there you go. You've got your entire campaign, perhaps months or even a year or more of material on one page. One page. Yep. Very good. I like Glad it. Glad I could help. We'll see how it goes. Now, originally, I had thought that we would maybe have a brief conversation about um, talking about giving some advice to players, fitting into the, helping their characters fit fit into a, a campaign yeah. concept. Um, I don't know if you still want to do that or not because we have been going for a long time now. Uh, well, I I can respect any listeners that might not like extra long episodes of a podcast, and I do have to admit. I don't know how much... I mean, I could thematically offer advice, but right, right. Uh, I think I've already tapped all my 4E crunch okay. knowledge. Well, we're at an hour and 12 minutes, and I know many people, whenever I talk about the, the episodes going along, I always get messages from people saying, no, 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 if you're having, doing a, having fun, you're doing a good episode, keep going, keep going. Uh, people don't seem to understand, though, that I also have time considerations because I have other people in my household <laughs> who are expecting right. me to do things before the night ends. So um, I think at an hour and uh, 12 minutes, we can probably call this advice episode uh wrapped up all right well i had fun jeff maybe we'll have you on again sometime to talk about players fitting into a campaign 
No, I think I'm done here. Okay. <laughs> You're done. You've, you've had your Tome Show appearance. You don't need to do any more. Yeah, there you go. Okay, good. No, no, of course. Of course. Anytime. Well, I want to thank uh, you and our sponsor, Gamerati.com, for, for being on the show. So thank you, you Ryan. Uh, and let people know. Well, and we already talked about where people can find you, but why don't you give them the, uh, the address? 35privatesanctuary.com or facebook.com slash 35privatesanctuary or facebook.com slash no direction. There you go. That's where he is. Uh, and uh, you can get a hold of me at the tome show at gmail.com. Call into the voicemail line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And let me give you a heads up for, for the Dice Monkey listeners out there. Um, the host of the Dice Monkey podcast or Dice Monkey radio podcast um, has been giving the phone number incorrectly. So oh, no. don't listen to him. He's going to correct it in the future, but don't listen to him. It's 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can call there for this show um, or for his show or any of the other shows on the uh, the feed. So anything you want to provide feedback to, send it along, and we will uh, incorporate that into the shows. And if you want to swing by the forums, they are at gamershavenpodcast.com. You can find show notes at thetomeshow.com. You got that, Ryan? It's thetomeshow.com. Yes, not tomeshow.com. That sends to some crazy agent site. Or I have to assume it's crazy. I I can't read it. Right. So, all right. So that, my friends, has been episode 190, where Ryan Costello Jr. helped us dust off a 4E transition book to build a campaign in this advice episode of... Oh, wow.